0: You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Kendall, ...because we're looking at the thought, and I think this is a thought that all of us have had at one time or another, and, and especially if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, and that is... How come I just kind of, I don't know, don't feel as sharp in my faith? I feel maybe a little dull. Just the passion seems to have uh, dwindled or, or receded a little bit. And, and then the question is, is, well, how can I regain that? How can I, you know, I look around and I see somebody that's just like on fire for Jesus. And I'm like, well, how, how did I lose that? and and how can I regain that? So for the, about the next 12 weeks leading right up into Christmas time, we're going to be looking at stories in the Bible about people that have maybe done that in one way or another and have regained it. So I'm actually excited about this series. You're going to hear from probably at least five different voices in the course of this of this time and I and I think it's going to be good. I know I need that too. I know there's times when I'm just like, wow, just I just yeah. Jesus, where'd you go? You know, he didn't go anywhere, I did. And I just had to find out where I, where I lost, uh, lost my footing or something. So it's interesting that the, you know, the Holy Spirit is often described as a fire, you know, flames of fire coming down upon the apostles and things like that. And uh, we're actually told in the New Testament not to quench the Holy Spirit. And whenever I read that, I go back into my old firefighting days and I think about, well, what does a fire need to burn? It needs fuel, it needs oxygen. Uh, and it needs heat. And if you can eliminate one of those three things, you're, you're on the way of putting that fire out. And so it makes me think well, if that's how you quench a fire, how do we quench the Holy Spirit? How is that even possible that that might happen? And those will be some of the things that, that we might touch on in the course of this study. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to turn to Acts chapter 7 or open up your app on your, on your phone uh, to Acts chapter 7, uh, beginning with verse 23. I uh, want to look at an individual uh, whose story is told by another individual uh, who was really on fire when he was telling this story. Well, not literally on fire, but he was, he was really going strong in his relationship with Christ. Um, but before we get into this message, I, I'm going to ask you a question, and this is your opportunity for audience participation. And that always scares me whenever I do that. But has there ever been a time where you did something and you said... I'm never trying that again. Okay? Or you know, <laughs> well let us say it that way. Has there ever been a time where you, you did something and after that you said, nope, nope, not again. Okay, I'll give you an example. Spraying uh, a mosquito spray on yourself when you're next to a campfire. <laughs> Just don't do it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> alright. But Anybody else? Is there something you'd be willing to show Okay, here we go Josh.
1: So this summer I went to a Thai place and I got like the spiciest. And it actually wasn't that bad and I, I was kind of disappointed. So I added a lot of like peppers to it and other spices. And that
0: was a big mistake. <laughs> okay. Alright, so overspicing the food a little. See, I started to tear up even while you were just talking about that because ketchup is spicy to me, you know. Say, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, it must be my Scottish descent because the food's really bland in Scotland, you know. But yeah, I, I, I'm a crybaby when I eat spicy food, ask my wife. So, Alright, anybody else? Something you tried and said, nope, not me. Oh, oh. Okay, ransom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mine's, mine's, mine's not too bad. Um, it Anything that has to do with free-falling, uh, that I, I can't handle. I uh, decided uh, to go to uh, Cedar Point in Ohio when I uh, was in college. Yeah, you guys know about it. It's a horrible place. Um, so I go with um, my, uh, my girlfriend at the time, plus a bunch of other friends, and it's during the Halloween period. Of so they throw on haunted houses and all that kind of stuff. And I have this thing about clowns, I don't, I don't like clowns. <laughs> I really don't. It's not as like, scared to your pants, I'm scared. I, I really just, they shouldn't exist. <laughs> so walking along with my girl, I got my girl on my left side, and there's this demon clown. I don't mean spiritually, so don't start throwing the exorcist here. It's just okay, he's got like an ashen face and pointy teeth and all that. You know, watch the movie, yeah, you'll understand. And walking along and I think kind of like, you know, when you when you see like a predator in the mountain, you don't look at it. You, know, you just kinda just keep on going, yeah. Right? They'll leave you alone, right? <laughs> but um so I was like, ignore him, act if you don't care, he'll leave you alone, right? And he'll only bother people that actually look scared. My, I forgot, though, I had friends behind me, are we so-called friends. And, uh, so the demon clown goes over to them and says, who should I scare? And, of course, my best friend at the time pointed me out. Comes over, and this demon clown, I don't know how he did he, like, snuck under my elbow and jumped right in front of my face and did this kind of, like, BOOM sound. <laughs> Which I don't, I think I got scared so bad I didn't make a sound. But inside, I mean, I'm screaming bloody murder. <laughs> walk wet. like after that, and then plus roller coasters. Those are the two things. That just I don't know if I would ever do the Point again. I mean, just, 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 <laughs> now.
0: Okay. Uh, All right. So I now have a goal in life to take Ransom on a roller coaster and have him ride with a clown. Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably won't try that again. Uh, so. All right. Oh my goodness, John Olson. Taking a
1: um, full ride on a taser.
0: <laughs> no more <than>
1: that.
0: Okay. <laughs> all right. If you if you did not hear that, John said taking a full ride on a taser. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Six hundred
1: thousand volts of electricity and uh, locks up all your muscles, and then you just basically just stand there or fall down. And so. Forth. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a horrible experience. So, (laughs) if the police are
0: telling you to stop doing something that you're doing, you don't want that option. It's good to know. Good to know. And I've also heard that when the police do the training with a taser, that you don't actually have to be tased they offer you the opportunity to be taste because
1: because there's yeah
0: <laughs> because there's always this guy that's going to show how macho he is by <laughs> by getting taste so you know <laughs> alright so yeah we've had these experiences and boy those, those are some good ones there you know we've all done that where we tried something and said uh yeah never going to do that again kind of thing and, and sometimes that's a really good idea like in the case of tasers or, or demon clowns or, or that kind of thing but sometimes even in our faith maybe we've tried something and it was a mistake and the result of whatever happened there might have caused us to drop back And in that drawing back, in a sense, we've kind of we've kind of quenched what's been going on, what God's been doing in our life. And we're going to look at a case where where an individual did that. Um, We're going to be looking at Moses. And you know, when we think of Moses, we think of well, we think of burning bushes. You know, we think of holy ground. And I think I do this anyway. I often think I'd like to have a burning bush experience. You know, that one that was just so powerful that it completely transformed and changed where I was at in my life. Or to have that experience to to know that I am standing in the presence of God, standing upon holy ground. I mean, so strong that, well, I want to kick this boot off all the time anyway. But uh, so strong that I want to kick my, my shoes off and, and, and be barefoot before God. So, so we're going to look at this today and, and we're going to do this with the idea of... Um, and, and this is going to be the, the question that we're going to ask throughout this series. is going to be, well, what, what does God need to burn into me? Or what does God need to burn out of me to bring me back to, to where I need to be? And, and that's why I chose the burning bush story to kick this off. Because, you know, the burning bush was kind of an oxymoron, if you think about it. Because our God is described as a consuming fire. Okay, Hebrews ten, or I forgot what the reference was in there. Twelve, twelve, twenty-nine. Yeah. Okay, that's how God is described, and this burning bush was a theophany, which was an appearance of God uh, to a human being. But yet, when Moses describes this bush, he says it it, it was not consumed. <laughs> so here's a consuming fire, not consuming. Uh, a bush. So that's kind of the this this strange paradox that's happening here that I think can happen in our lives too, where a consuming fire begins to build in us and it doesn't consume us as as it burns. And uh that's that's the idea. Let's pray and then let's let's jump into this this text here. Um, Father uh I'm going to just speak for myself here but I'm I'm sure that I have a lot of friends and a lot of brothers and sisters that have felt the same way at some time or another where they I don't know we wish we wish we were stronger in our faith um uh, we wish we were more bold uh, maybe we can remember a time when it just seemed like uh like we were having the time of our life walking with you and then other things in life have distracted us or clouded our vision or something there's so many things Lord we understand that because you said it that to walk into a relationship with you will be to invite contrary circumstances even uh, that the world would hate us and we're we're taught in the epistles that the, there's a spiritual war that's happening uh, with your enemy who does not want to see us succeed uh, in a relationship with you or grow in a relationship with you uh, so, Lord, we have the world fighting against us. We have your enemy fighting against us. And, well, frankly, I have my own my own sin nature that fights against it. Uh, just like Paul said, I know the things I, I ought to do, but I do the things I ought not. Uh, what a wretched man I am. So, Lord, we all struggle. And we're just asking that you would, I don't know, just burn brightly before us. And as you do, that you would burn back into us uh, maybe what we're lacking. Or maybe that you would burn out of us, God, something that we did not know we were allowing into our life that was um, impinging upon this relationship with you. So, Lord, we ask for that because uh, uh, we, we want your name to be glorified and we want it to happen right here in our midst. So we pray that you would uh, do what we cannot do and uh, show up and make yourself known to us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so when we get to, to Acts chapter 7, we have a, a man named Stephen who's about to die for his faith. And uh, before that happens, he has the opportunity to testify. And uh, this young Alexander and Jew, uh, with no formal training or anything, just steps up and, and lays out pretty much the history of the Old Testament before the, uh, before the Pharisees and, and those that were attacking him. And he gets to this story in verse 23 about Moses. Okay? Um, you know, I don't know if you pick out Bible characters and think, I- "I'd like to be like Moses, or I'd like to be like uh, Jacob, or you know, those kind of things." I like to be David. We um, you- tend to look at these guys as elevated heroes and-, and that, but they're not. They're just normal Joes like the rest of us, and uh, um, they have the same problems that we have. And in fact, sometimes when I read the Bible, the more I read it, even the more I think, "I do not want to be that guy." I do not want to experience uh, what they have experienced. But yet we find out that we do. And God shows himself faithful in their lives. He shows himself faithful in our lives as well. So here it is in verse 23. It says, when he, Moses, was 40 years old, and this is important, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. So so there's Moses. Okay, He's being raised as a prince of Egypt. He's probably thinking to himself at this point, you know, it seems that, and I know now that I am related to all these slaves that are being oppressed by the family that is raising me, uh, it seems like that perhaps this God of Abraham and, and Jacob and Isaac, uh, that, that perhaps he has put me in this position for such a time as this. Okay, we pull the Esther move. For such a time as maybe that's why I was elevated to be a prince of Egypt, so that I can now go to my oppressed brethren and I can visit them and do because we use the word visit. Well that's just I'm gonna go hang out with my squirrely relatives for a little while and get out of there as soon as I can. Okay, while, while my sanity's intact. But the word visit in the Bible means to come to a people with the purpose to do something in their lives. Okay, we talk about the, the moment of God's visitation upon us. That was what entered into Moses' mind that perhaps he could do something in his oppressed brethren's lives. Okay, as we read on uh in verse 24, it says, and seeing one of them wronged. Oh, opportunity. This is what I came to do. You know, they're being oppressed. One's being oppressed. I'm going to act. Seeing one being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Now, those are two important words in his action there. He first defended this guy and then he took vengeance for him by striking down the Egyptian that was doing whatever harmful thing to him. Now, verse 25 which echoes verse 23. Remember, it came into his heart to do this. He supposed... <laughs> okay. Now, you see how Moses' mind is working, all these things are happening, and he gets this supposition in his head. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. That's why I don't want to be Moses. Because <laughs> see, Moses made a big mistake here. He had the right idea that salvation should come to his his fellow Jews there in Egypt, but the wrong idea was he was the guy to do it. He was going to make it happen. Okay? So verse 26 says, On the following day he appeared to them, that's his his Jewish brothers, and they were quarreling, and he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men You are brothers, why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside. I never caught that before, but it was a physical act of get away from me. You know, he thrust pushed Moses aside from him and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Has that ever happened to you? You know, especially if you're a parent, you're telling your children what's supposed to be going on, they get a little snotty and go, Who made you God? <laughs> you know who died and appointed you God? i you know, 've heard that you know if you've ever been a boss or that kind of thing or a chief you know you 're in charge and and yeah, people respond with that, and that 's basically what this this Hebrew man just did to Moses. He said, "Who died and made you God <laughs> and he says, "Are you going to uh, kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday At this retort, Moses fled so you see how things just went really bad for Moses really fast he was trying to do a good thing he had a good idea but he was doing it the wrong way and then the consequences blew up in his face and his immediate response was I'm getting out of here I, I'm, I'm going and, and so he fled and he became an exile in the land of Midian where he became the father of two sons That's, that's basically he became a shepherd and a dad he just kind of retreated from the public life Completely, He completely gave up the idea of doing anything for God and just said, I'm just going to, I don't know, live a quiet, normal life. Herd sheep and raise kids. And that's what can happen to us sometimes in our faith where maybe something blew up in our face and we just say, well, I, you know what, I'm just, I think I'd rather just live a normal life. You know, I I don't have to be out there. I don't have to be radical. I don't have to be, you know, doing something for God all the time. I'm just, I'm just going to say, man, I'll tell you, that temptation is really strong. You know, especially when you're in full time ministry. You you just sometimes think, why did I sign up for this? I I just would like to be a dad, you know, with a normal nine to five job and, you know, come on. But, But we know in our hearts when we do that, that's really not where we ought to be. So God let Moses do that. God let Moses run away from him. God let Moses go a long ways away and just basically stew in his Moses-ness for a little while. And then in verse 30, it says this, Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of fire in a bush. Now remember, this is Stephen's description of this account. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look... There came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning. And I have come down to deliver them. And now I will send you to Egypt. Okay, so what what did God burn out of Moses? I think in that 40 years, he's preparing Moses for this moment when he was going to say, Hey, Moses, time to try it again. Time to go back. Uh, time to finish what you you kind of you kind of started there. Only we're going to do it right this time. And I think what Moses needed to be burned out of his head was that by himself he could somehow be the deliverer, the protector, the avenger, the redeemer of his oppressed brethren. How does that get into our head? How do we get this idea that somehow to make life right, that it, it's somehow up to us? And we do that as Christians, don't we? You know, there's there's times when we have actually said, if I just read the Bible more, if I prayed more, if I tried harder, uh, you know, as a youth minister, I, I can't tell you how many times at conferences and retreats and camps where I would I would see kids respond to an altar call that I knew I knew they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. There was no doubt in that. They have they have borne fruit of that. And I'd asked them, I said, so what's going on tonight? Why, why did you come forward? And they just, you know, they just felt like they should do more. I go, why do you think you should do more? Well, it just doesn't seem like the Christian life is working for me. So I need to try harder. Where did that idea come into our heads? It's up to me. It's up to me. And we don't realize it when we're doing it, but we're actually replacing God as Redeemer. Somehow I have to make life right. Somehow I have to come through in such a way that it's going to change the way things are going. And sometimes we get a Messiah complex even and we think we can do it for other people. Sort of what was happening with Moses there. Another source of false redemption is is sometimes we rely too much on others. Sometimes we think another person will somehow step into my life and that person is now going to make things better for me. It's somehow going to right the situation. You know? Uh, that's, that's why there's been a lot of tragic marriages. Because one person decided that they were going to let the other person be their God. And you know what? There's, there's not a husband here, there's not a wife here that can fill those shoes. You know, and it's not just in marital relationships, but in a lot of situations where we just think, you know, if I had the right people around me. Um, life would be choice, and we we wrongingly put people in the place of our redeemer, others. When we do that, sometimes we let the world be our redeemer. Sometimes we say, "Well, you know, maybe if I had a better job, maybe if I had a different position, maybe if I owned this house or that car, maybe maybe if I just." Took oper- took took a or took a. of the word I'm looking for? I, I seize the opportunity that this world is giving to me right now, and and we think that somehow the world has something that the kingdom of heaven doesn't, and and somehow that's going to make life good. And strangely enough, sometimes we think, well, maybe religious observance will redeem things. Maybe if I start going to church. Maybe if I start being religious. Maybe if I start praying more. Maybe if I start reading my Bible more. Maybe if I, start, and we start coming up with all these different things. Not that there are bad things. None of those things are necessarily bad things, but they're wrong things when we allow them to replace our Redeemer. And Moses just didn't catch on to it until it was too late that when he stepped into his brethren's life to, to, to try to uh, defend them and try to avenge for them and, and all those things that he got it in his mind. He supposed it entered into his heart that he could be their redeemer and it failed. And that's what need to be burnt out of him is Moses. It's, it's not up to you. Moses, you can't do that. Moses, you're not qualified. And, and we could put our own names in the blanks there. You know, Nick, you can't do that. Nick, you're not. Qualified, Nick, it's not up to you. Isn't that a freeing thing? To know that God would want you to hear that? It's not up to you. Because did you notice the last thing that, that God said to Moses when he said, all right, take your shoes off and all these other things. He says, we're going back to Egypt. I've heard my people. I I know the situation that they're in and I am going to deliver them that's what Moses needed to have burnt into him was that God is going to do it it is up to God he is the redeemer he is the deliverer he is the protector he is the defender he is the ruler over all things so the story is very simple, and the application is pretty easy too. You know, maybe sometimes we kind of get down to a dim smolder in our faith because we've put ourselves in the wrong place. We've traded spaces with God, and we've been living like it's all up to us. That somehow we have to make it right. Somehow we can fix this thing. By the word, that's what the word redemption means. Uh, it, it just means simply to fix, like a mechanic. You know? God is our spiritual mechanic. He takes what is broken, He takes what doesn't run anymore, and He redeems it. He fixes it. Because we, we can't. We can't. And I think we recognize that. I think, I think anybody that's come to faith in Jesus Christ had to come to that point where they said, you know what, I am just riddled with sin. I, I'm trying to be a decent person I'm trying to be a good person but I still have thoughts I shouldn't have I still take actions I shouldn't take I still say things that should never fall out of my mouth I'm, I, I'm still you know, separated from God and I've tried my hardest to swim back to Him but I, I just can't do it and then somebody tells us about the cross and then somebody tells us that yeah, no, you can't do it that's why Jesus took on human flesh That's why God left heaven to come down here and to walk amongst us. Not just to show us what it looks like we should be doing, because if you're saying, well, I'm going to read the Gospels, and boy, look what Jesus did. I'm going to do what Jesus did, and that's going to make it right. It's not going to fix anything. What we're supposed to do is we're supposed to look at what Jesus did on the cross and recognize he did what I could not do. He paid the price that I didn't have the cash to pay. I didn't have the capital for that. He suffered a punishment that was due to me so that I could be set free. That's the story of the cross. It's a story of redemption. I can't do that. The world can't do it. Other people can't do that for me. And just being religious will never accomplish that either. It comes down to an act of faith that says, Jesus, you're all I've got. You're my only hope. Because in reality, you know, if, if it were left up to us, you want to know how effective we would be? <clears throat> About as effective as John Olson at the other end of a taser. <laughs> He's a strong guy. I don't want to get in his way. There's a lot this guy's capable of doing. But a taser completely immobilized him. And that's what sin does to, to me and it does to you. And try as we might, we we think we can redeem ourselves, but eventually we we realize it's just never going to work. What am I going to do? And and then finally we realize Jesus is our only hope, even when we don't want him to be that hope. (laughs) We find out he's our only hope. And that's how we start a relationship with God, through faith in Jesus Christ, because of what he did, and the fact that what he did is what we could never do. But somehow we lose sight of that, in our walk and we forget that only he can do it only he can do it all we can do is say let it be let it be make it happen God because I can't I think there comes a time when we have to honestly ask the question of is, is my relationship with God on a low smolder right now Because I'm always trying to do his job. You know, and and we don't realize this, but when we're always trying to do God's job, we're actually saying to him, You're not necessary. I don't need you. What does that do to a relationship? You married couples. (laughs) If your spouse were to turn to you and say, You are no longer necessary. I don't need you. I would call that a relationship killer. I, I would call that something that needs to be attended to, something that, that, that we would need to fix as soon as possible. We've got to change that attitude, yeah. because that just doesn't work in any relationship, not just marriage relationships. And we, we say to others, I have no need of you. You're worthless to me. Well, if we understand how powerful that is in human relationships, we must not forget how devastating that could be in our relationship with our Savior. And what dangerous ground we begin to tread upon when we act or live or believe in such a way that God is no longer necessary. Thanks for saving me. Thanks for pushing my ticket out of hell. That kind of thing. See, ya, see ya in a few years, you know, that kind of thing. No, it's every single day. Uh, what I needed from Jesus at the cross, I need every single day. Jesus said to Himself, "Apart from Me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Absolutely nothing." You know, and and sometimes that's what we're doing. We're 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 telling ourselves that we're walking with God, but we're doing nothing because we're just trying to do it all on our own apart from Christ so that's the thing that's got to be burnt out of me that somehow it's all up to me and what needs to be burnt into me is that I have to be absolutely completely always dependent on God this really messes up us, us Great Plains agricultural people here because we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, our own bootstraps, all the time. We don't like being dependent. Uh, yesterday I, I, I nearly wrecked myself because a bunch of people came to help split firewood for me, which is an amazing gift, an amazing act of God that that, that even happened, that the wood was provided and then a whole team of people just split it and stacked it. All I got to do now is burn it, okay? But I could I could not sit in the house while they did that, and my wife said, are you going to change? Which I took as giving me permission. <laughs> <laughs> so out I go, you know. And they, they had to kind of, they already had the wood there, so they kind of had to juggle the wood, move it over here so they could split wood, and then make sure that the dryer wood ended up in a place where it was accessible. So I was right out there in the middle of it, you know. I'm like carrying three sticks of wood. And, you shouldn't be doing that. That wasn't even my wife. She was in there cooking for us. It was everybody else. You shouldn't be doing that. I'm like, it's just three pieces of wood. I'm okay. No, my shoulders back to normal pretty much, you know, and I'm walking again. So, and and then I realized after, you know, about a half an hour of moving around and doing that, I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> So I sat down at the splitter and I just ran the just ran the knob that made that hydraulic blade. <laughs> yeah, this is great. This is and my daughter, she's you know, and you know my daughter, she's like that big, <laughs> and and, uh, and and she's hefting these big logs underneath the splitter and placing them for me, and and I can see that's hard on her back. And so I said, hey, um, how about if I do that? And so we switched, and she ran the knob, and, and I said, please don't cut my hands off. And, uh, and, and I moved the logs for a while, and, 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 yeah, we did that, and it was awesome, and it was great. And, and when we were all done, I got up from that log, and this is all the further I could get up. I'm all, I'm all hunched over like that woman who'd been like that for 40 years until Jesus said, I'm like, Jesus, come touch me. You know? <laughs> And I took a hot shower, just standing there soaking, and finally things loosened up and all that, and I'm like, why does my body hurt so much? Because I don't like being dependent. You know, as, 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 as much as, as lovely as it is that that people would pour out their love on us like that, there's something in me that says, I just, that's great, but I just don't like being dependent. Well, here it is, bottom line: you can't walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ and not be dependent. You've got to let go of that pride. you've got to let it go of whatever that thing is, that is in you saying it saying, that I can do this. It's up to me. Just, just leave it to me, Jesus. I, I got this. And, and you just got to get to the point where you say, with all humility, "I'm a hot mess. I can't do anything. In fact, I'm helpless. And it gets worse. I am of no earthly good to a single soul by myself. Let me go back to the ending of that story when, when God says, come on, Moses, let's go. He made it very clear. I have come to deliver. Not you, Moses. I have come to deliver my people. But then he said, and you're coming with me. And that's the neat thing, that even though I'm helpless, even though that I'm of no earthly good or something like that, is that when I am walking with God, he invites me to jump into the things that he's doing. Isn't that amazing? And that's where our passion rekindles. That's where our fire for Jesus flares back up again and reignites. Because we're actually watching him do what he does best in inviting us to join in with it. And that would be my invitation to you. To walk back into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or, perhaps you're sitting here and you're going, well, you know, that's something I've never really done. I, you know, I've heard about Jesus, and you know, and I've gone to church, I've done all these things, and maybe you're sitting here thinking, wow, I've, I, I never realized it, but I've been trusting in other things to fix me fix my life, take care of my sin problem and, and things like that, but I've never trusted Jesus to do that. I've had all these wrong redeemers. Well, I would invite you today to just, you know, before we leave, just tell them as we're praying, Jesus, I want you, I want you to be my redeemer. Because I can't, I cannot do that. The cross would have been a waste of time if our only hope didn't rest on Jesus. And for some of us that have been walking for a while with him, we've made that decision, I would invite you today to say, God, I'm I'm coming to you empty-handed. I've got nothing, nothing to offer apart from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But I'm coming to you because I want to walk with you. I'm coming to you because I know that you are a God who redeems. I'm coming to you because, God, I want to be a part of that redemption. I, there's people I care about. There's people I love. There's people I haven't even met. There's people I don't know very well. But I want to see God step into their lives. Not me. Not me. So I'm going to make the prayer really simple here for us. Um, it's, the same, it's a prayer that was taken from a statement that John the Baptist gave. I must decrease. And Jesus must increase. I think if that's our prayer, I think the fire is going to burn. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, because how would we know you if you hadn't written down who you are and revealed it to us thank you for the stories that are contained in the bible because they're not just narratives they're not just stories that are interesting they're not they're not even you know history that we somehow have to have a test on but but there are stories in that you use as a device to make yourself known thank you for making yourself known to moses i mean even in this conversation he tried to get out of it he he, he said how can i go to egypt i i i don't talk good He still thought it was up to him somehow, but God, you patiently walked with him and helped him to see that it wasn't up to him, that you were the God, you were the Redeemer, you were the only hope for those slaves in Egypt. God, help us to leave here today knowing one thing, that you are our only hope. We might have all kinds of ideas about Man, how how we can make common ground a great church or, or something. It's not up to us. God, it's up to you. You're our only hope. Lord, there may be some of us here that are walking through brokenness of some kind and they're exhausting themselves trying to somehow figure it out, somehow to get to the other side, somehow to make sense of it all. Lord, I pray that today they see that you are their only hope Lord set us free from all the anxieties and worries and distractions that we allow into our lives set us free from that idea that somehow I can do your job and Lord let us just take your yoke upon us you're the big bull we're the little bull show us how to walk show us the way to go Lord Lord Take our burdens and take our cares. Not that we're irresponsible, but but because we we are responsible, we want to put them in the best hands that could ever hold them, in your hands. And God, as, as, as we give ourselves up to you, as we allow you to consume that part of us that gets in the way of enjoying a relationship with you, as you burn that out of us, God, burn into us a full on dependence upon you and, and you alone. And Lord, as that happens, may we burn a little bit brighter as your lights in this world. As we pray in Jesus name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at common ground.